Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Inside the Archives, the very first episode of 2019. Thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed to the podcast on iTunes thus far. If you haven't done so, be sure to do so by searching the iTunes library for Inside the Archives. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating or review, and find a full listing of episodes that we release throughout all of 2018. It's been almost a calendar year to the date since I started up the podcast and released the first episode. So once again, I want to thank everyone for their support thus far, for sharing it with your friends and helping us continue to grow the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Marty Rosenbaum and be sure to follow 93XRT on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at 93XRT. So the year has come and gone and there isn't a band out there in the rock and roll world that has had as much written about them or said about them as Greta Van Fleet. The comparisons to Led Zeppelin were apparent from the get-go, and it was pretty much the first thing that people pointed out. But is that a bad thing? Is that something that's going to prevent the band from having success in the future? Is it really a bad thing in rock and roll? It's not the first time that it's happened, nor will it be the last. So today's episode is going to focus on a very simple question. In rock and roll... Why is there a stigma around sounding original? And if not, is imitation really the sincerest form of flattery? If you're solely judging the success of Greta Van Fleet based off of XRT's Facebook comments, you'll probably find that they're the most polarizing band out there these days. The comparisons to Led Zeppelin are abound. Even the band has admitted that as much themselves. Although they do cite other influences like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and singer-songwriters as their main influences, the Led Zeppelin comparisons can't escape them. So what I decided to do for today's podcast is bring in Robert Plant's best friend. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, no, I'd go with that. I, I think Robert Plant would say Lynn Bramer, best friend, uh, if he remembered who I was. Yeah. So we got, we got Robert Plant's best friend in the room today, Lynn Bramer, XRT Morning Show host. Lynn, welcome. Thank you. A- actually, Robert Plant was uh, being interviewed and was asked about Greta Van Fleet because of all the Greta Van Fleet, Led Zeppelin comparisons. And, uh, he, he was very, uh... Uh, jocular about it, I guess. He he laughed it off and said uh, they sound pretty good doing us. But, uh, you know, for Robert Plant and Led Zeppelin to be accusing some other musician of mining their influences would be a little hypocritical if they were critical about it because Led Zeppelin famously um, borrowed, being generous here, uh, from Chicago blues legends. 
And uh, that's where they got their sound. That's where they got some of their lyrics. So much so, in fact, that they had to settle in court and out of court with some, uh, I guess, Willie Dixon's uh, estate about uh, songs that just were a little too close to the original. Yeah, and it's probably not the first time he's heard comparisons to his band either throughout the past several decades. Well, the, th- the thing with Led Zeppelin is they they were going through a legal battle with a band called Spirit, who you might remember mm. with songs like I Got a Line on You, Beb, and Nothing to Hide, and uh, Fresh Garbage. Uh, Spirit recorded a song that sounds really like Stairway to Heaven, uh, especially the guitar intro. And uh, there's been a lot of back and forth about that. Well, when did uh, the Spirit song come out? When did uh, Stairway to Heaven come out? Well, the Spirit song came out well before the Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven. Um, And at the same time, I hear songs that sound like Stairway to Heaven all the time today. Uh, All you got to do is listen to uh, the Black Keys, Little Black Submarines. And not only is uh, the little guitar intro very reminiscent of Stairway to Heaven, the transition in the song uh, is very much like the transition in Stairway to Heaven. So the thing about rock and roll is that there is borrowing and homages and outright stealing throughout its history. And starting with, say starting just for the point of argument with uh, Chuck Berry and Buddy Holly, without them there'd be nobody to rip off. And without them to rip off, there'd be very little rock and roll. Right. Well, that segues perfectly into the main topic of this podcast, which is why in rock and roll is imitation dismissed or frowned down upon? You look at other genres, as you mentioned, in the blues, there's lots of covers of different songs, traditional blues covers, people that have recreated what has come before them. In hip-hop, you see it all the time with artists sampling one, one another, even crossing genres to bring in samples of rock and roll into their songs, and it's pretty much accepted. You look at the early work of Zeppelin, as we mentioned, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, who grew a lot of their popularity off of blues R&B covers from artists here in the United States. But along comes Greta Van Fleet. And the first thing that people hear is the comparisons between uh, the lead singer, Josh Kiska, and Robert Plant, almost to a T. But people are going nuts over it and saying, hey, they're complete ripoffs. Why don't they do something original? Yet, it's not the first time this has happened in music history. So, Lynn, the, question, the big question I have for you today is, why is imitation frowned down upon in rock and roll? And does it have the potential to be the sincerest form of flattery? Well, I'll tell you why it's frowned upon. There are a lot of grumpy people out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, imitation, influence. When you look over the history of rock and roll, I mean, there are, there are hundreds of bands that wouldn't exist if the Beatles had not come before them. And there are so many bands whose sound and harmonies and chord structures uh, remind us of the Beatles that it's hard to to think of rock and roll without artists who have leaned very heavily on those who have come before them. You know, um, some of the bands that I remember listening to that, that reminded me so much of the Beatles, I thought they might be the Beatles, would include Badfinger, who actually recorded uh, for the, the Beatles label. Uh, and uh, a little bit later on, you might remember that there was a fake scam that uh, Paul McCartney was dead, and you could find it by spinning some of the Beatles records backwards to find clues. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in the late 70s, when I had just started in radio, where 
uh, either the record company or the band intimated that this new band, Clot 2, was actually the Beatles reunited because they sounded so much like the Beatles. They were a little more electronic, so they sound a little more modern uh, than the Beatles, at least from a production standpoint. But for a few months, everybody's going, is Claw 2 the Beatles? Are they really <laughs> calling occupants of outer space? Is this really the Beatles reunited? Are, are they putting this out? They don't want people to know they're the Beatles. They just want to be judged on the basis of the music. And, of course, it wasn't the Beatles. And, by the way, Paul McCartney was not dead. Uh, it also reminds me of Jimi Hendrix, phenomenally influential guitar player. Uh, there are a couple of artists that followed the Jimi Hendrix experience, including Robin Trower. Uh, James Dewar and Robin Trower got together in this band. In fact, their album Bridge of Size in the very first XRT listener poll was voted the number one album of the year. But the way Robin Trower played guitar and used feedback, people said, oh, it's just Hendrix. This is Hendrix. This is just like Hendrix. And there was also a group, the loudest band I ever heard, now sort of obscure, named Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush. Mm -hmm. Originally, they were Mahogany Rush. But Frank Marino either claimed or, or was believed to be the reincarnated Jimi Hendrix. And his guitar licks and guitar style and production style was so similar to Jimi Hendrix that you really thought it sounded like sort of the same guy. Right. Uh, and now you're saying, well, I've never heard of Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush. The thing with, with artists that, that really uh, try or wind up sounding like somebody else is they tend to fade into obscurity. But, of course, Robin Trower has had a very successful career, even though his uh, initial recordings uh, reminded people explicitly of Jimi Hendrix. Those of you who remember the uh, the movie Apocalypse Now, there was a guy named Randy Hansen who unabashedly did Jimi Hendrix tributes and was so influenced by Jimi Hendrix that he didn't even pretend that that wasn't what he was trying to do. So when Apocalypse Now needed a Jimi Hendrix-style fill for one of the nightmarish scenes, they used Randy Hansen mm. playing like Jimi Hendrix. Now, there are some examples of artists that should just have handed over their royalties to other artists. Keyboard player with Steve Miller's uh, band back in the day, Ben Sidron, sounded so much like the jazz vocalist keyboard player Mose Allison that I, I thought they were really one and the same. Uh, it's To me, I hear more similarity in songs necessarily than in bands, and in the, the case of Greta Van Fleet, and I have to confess, I haven't spent a lot of time uh, with the new album, certainly not as much time as Pitchfork did, but <laughs> I did see them, I saw them live at Lollapalooza, I had a great time. I think part of it is because I'm a guitar guy, and so much contemporary music really wants to be pop music, yeah. and has really de-emphasized the guitar that you can rock, walk around a music festival these days. And I remember, uh, I may have told this story on the air of walking around um, Pitchfork a number of years ago, and somebody said, how are you enjoying it? I go, well, I, you know, I'm having a great time, but I, I'm hoping to find a stage with a guitar, because everything I saw was a DJ and a singer, 
a synthesizer and a singer, a singer and another singer, uh, a DJ pressing buttons. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see somebody play a guitar, an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar. So uh, there was some some kind of refreshing throwback for me to see Greta Van Fleet, and here they are. Uh, sort of leaning on some of the old rock and roll live performing tropes, you know, a guitarist with guitar solos and a lead singer with a voice that reminded people of Robert Plant. When I hear Greta Van Fleet, I I hear as much Black Crows or the Rolling Stones, um, who are two artists that have been compared over the years. And uh, sure, I I guess if you wanted to pinpoint the, the voice of the lead vocalist, Greta Van Fleet, you would say Robert Plant. But I, I think in terms of imitation and sounding like other bands, there are much more egregious examples of bands that have ripped off other bands. Right. And, and I, I think of that more in context of bands who have have uh, written songs claiming to be their own that are just a little bit too similar to songs that have come before. Well, it's interesting you brought up Robin Trower, and this may come across as blasphemous to some, and I will gladly take the heat for it because of my youth or naivety. That's right. Blame your youth. Blame me. It's an excuse I'm going to ride for the next 20 years. But I was listening to XRT this weekend, and we played Robin Trower, and it was during the middle of a guitar solo. I had no idea that it was Robin Trower. I'm like, man, this is a great... Jimi Hendrix song. This guitar <laughs> sounds exactly like Jimi Hendrix, but it, it, was, it was cool because I'm a huge Hendrix fan, and just hearing the influence that he had, you know, still to this day amongst guitarists, and hearing someone like Robin Trower, I think Johnny Mars may have been on the air, um, either Johnny or Ryan, I can't remember who it was, talk about it afterwards, I'm like, God, this is, this is fantastic. You know, it, I wasn't put off by it immediately. Um, when you had someone like Robin Trower come, who did imitate Hendrix's sound what was the public perception at the time because today with social media it's so easy for people anyone to go out there and say oh this sucks this is exactly like Led Zeppelin but you didn't have those outlets you know I you know I, I was doing college radio when Bridge of Size came out and 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 you're right you, you didn't get the immediate feedback that you would today and I remember people saying oh this guy sounds just like Hendrix but rather than say this guy sucks. They go, cool. It's kind of cool. Uh, so I, I don't think there was the same sort of backlash, and mm-hmm. probably just because there wasn't the same kind of forum for it. And you know, the song sounded different. It was the guitar style, and 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 let's be honest, if we were to sit Jimi Hendrix down in our studio with us right now and say, "Well, Jimmy, where where did you get that sound? Where did you get that?" You know, you, you had the blues scales uh, and this mastery of, of feedback. You just came up with that all by yourself, didn't you? And Jimi Hendrix, if we were being honest, would say, uh, actually, that was pretty much Buddy Guy, mm-hmm. Chicago blues guitarist who uh, worked feedback like that. And uh, Jimi Hendrix did a song called Red House, which sounded just like a Buddy Guy song. And years later, in a tribute to Jimi Hendrix album, Buddy Guy covered Red House. Mm. And he did Jimi Hendrix doing Buddy Guy 
better than Jimi Hendrix did doing Buddy Guy. <laughs> so uh, there are very few innocents in the world of rock and roll. Very few bands that sprung up fresh like Aphrodite on a half shell to say nobody has ever sounded like us before. We are wholly and totally original. And I can think of some of those bands. When Roxy Music emerged in 1972 uh, and everybody was listening to Carole King and James Taylor, they sounded like they had landed from another planet. Mm-hmm. Talking Heads in 1977, to radio programmers at the time, Talking Heads were the weirdest sounding band anybody had ever heard. And you could probably search the annals of rock and roll and say, well, you know, Roxy Music was a, a little bit like this, and they leaned on uh, this kind of uh, prog rock uh, pioneer. But uh, for the most part, those bands sounded wholly unlike anybody else. But rock and roll is is in some ways a very static structure when you think about the chord progressions and and the uh, uh, the influence of the blues over the years uh, on the chord structure of rock and roll. Um, it's inevitable that, that bands are going to sound like other bands. Yeah. Well, and Greta Van Fleet isn't hiding their influences. I mean, they've they've spoken about what they grew up listening to, listening to old blues records that their parents had, listening to Bob Dylan, uh, Neil Young. And there's a recent interview that bassist Sam Kiska did with the Australian paper Sydney Morning Herald. The band's in tour in Australia right now. And he said, when we're in the studio, we're not thinking about what peop- what the people will like. We make music for ourselves, honestly. We sculpt the album to be the way we want it to be rather than thinking, well, this might be catchier. This may be more effective to grab listeners. When we released the album, we thought, well, here goes nothing, and you can hear that in the music. I mean, they're, they they take the roots of what they grew up listening to, and they're essentially recreating it, and I don't see a problem with that. I mean, if that's what they're influencing, all these examples that you're bringing up, unless you're a band like Talking Heads, who brings in something so radically different, you're still containing the elements of your influence. Uh, you know, with with Greta Van Fleet, they sold out three nights at the Chicago Theater, and for a band uh, that new, that's absolutely remarkable. So, with Greta Van Fleet, if you don't like what they're doing, or you're offended by the fact that they sound like other bands, I would heartily recommend that you don't ever listen to them. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, if you're one of the people that saw them at Lollapalooza or an XRT after show, or or maybe you saw them um, at the Chicago Theater, and hearing that band play and hearing that singer sing uh, provides you with a measure of joy, then I would say don't feel guilty about it. Life's too short to feel guilty <laughs> about having fun. Yeah. Well, I think the shows were at the Aragon. Oh, I'm the sorry. Theater. Yeah, but well, that's even still, bigger because yeah. the Chicago Theater's uh, 2,600, 3,000. Uh, Aragon Theater's 5,000. That's 15,000 yeah. people seeing uh, what is essentially a new band and selling it all three shows and selling them out uh, to the extent that I start getting personal phone calls from people going, hey, man, you can get me in to see Greta Van Fleet, can't you? Nope. No, I can't. <laughs> I was going to say, of course, you accommodate everyone's wishes, right? Uh, if you want to believe that, you go right ahead. <laughs> I'll keep pushing those buttons. Well, well, you have to remember that I do tell people when I meet them in person who ask me if I can do this or do that, that my motto is, whatever you want. <laughs> 
always the people person. So you mentioned earlier about bands that have gotten those claims of imitation or that they're just copying other artists and they have a small shelf life. You have bands that may have a brief moment in the sun for the recognition that they're copying or mimicking other artists, but they sort of fade away. Do you have any examples of artists that have successfully strayed away from those comparisons to really own their own sound or really uh, extend their own career without having those comparisons continually follow them? And can you successfully do so? Well, I can give you an example of a band that didn't emerge from the shadows of the band they sounded the most like. Uh, Around the time of Rush, there was also a band called Pavlov's Dog. And the lead singer of Pavlov's Dog was a dead ringer for Geddy Lee. And uh, do you remember Pavlov's Dog? I rest my case. No. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, you start talking about bands with lead singers who who uh, reach into the upper registers uh, like Get- Getty Lee does and as Robert Plant can. Uh, and you're talking about hundreds of rock and roll bands. Uh, as for the bands that were strictly imitations of other bands that faded away, because they faded away, I have a very difficult time remembering them. Sure, some will occur to me at some point, probably long after we've had this conversation. <laughs> well, that's what I—that's that's what Wikipedia is for. But the big question that I have around that is, you know, as Greta Van Fleet has attained the meteoric rise they've had over the past year, year and a half, and selling out three nights at the Aragon Ballroom, when they go for their follow-up album, there's going to be a lot of eyes on them, a lot of ears on them that weren't there before. You know, do they really want to escape what brought them success in the first place? Are they going to continue down the path that the bassist Sam Kiskis said of making music that they want? They always going to have that stigma attached to them. I mean, does does the lead singer have to change his vocal style for that to escape them? Well, he can't change his vocal style. He's going to sound the the way he sounds, and the way he sounds is like uh, Chris Robinson or Robert Plant. Uh, so what's going to happen is their second album is going to come out. It's not going to be as much of a surprise because their first album, uh, I think, appealed to people because as kind of a retro-sounding record, it didn't sound like a whole lot of other stuff out there. Uh, second album comes along, and, and they sound very much the same, and they're they're going to experience a sophomore slump. That's just, mm-hmm. just the way it works. Uh, I see them working in much the same context. You know, they're not going to become... Uh, an acoustic singer-songwriter ensemble. Uh, the question is in the, the songs themselves. How are the songs going to appeal to people? Are they going to strike a chord? Uh, and there's always a possibility that they'll come up with something that's slightly different, a little fresher, and they'll be fine. But I think most bands that have uh, immediate success don't have as much success with their second album. Mm-hmm. And that's almost regardless of whatever type of rock and roll you're it's making. All, yeah, it's it's the difference between, hey, uh, I've discovered this band, and it's it's really fun to discover a new band, as opposed to, oh, yeah, I know these guys. Uh, I bought their first album. Second album's not as good. Right. Right. So, you know, going back to the original question I had, which is, you know, in rock and roll, is imitation the sincerest form of flattery, or why is there such a stigma around it? You know, trying to sound original if you're a guitar-fronted band like Greta Van Fleet is, do you think it's possible to create that original sound with guitar, bass, drums, 
lead singer without immediately drawing those comparisons to past rock and roll figures? Yeah, no, I, I think I think there are all kinds of of new bands coming along that that have been influenced by uh, classic rock bands or or punk rock bands or uh, or bands that emerged from Seattle in the early '90s that that uh, forged their own sound enough that they sound different. Uh, I'm always looking for vocalists that, that sound a little bit different. Uh, but if I hear a vocalist that reminds me of somebody else, I don't discount them. Raylan Baxter out of Nashville, who is the son of a legendary pedal steel guitar player named Bucky Baxter, has a song called Casanova we're playing. And every time I hear it, uh, if I'm not, you know, if I'm drifting or, or daydreaming, I'll whip around and go, is this the Kinks? Oh, no, no this is Raylan, because his voice is very reminiscent of of Ray Davies, but I don't say, oh, his voice sounds like Ray Davies' voice. I can't listen to this because I think Casanova is a really catchy song and, and a song that, that people have been enjoying. And um, I, can't, I can't walk away from uh, a new Raylan, Raylan Baxter album because at times it reminds me of the Kinks, mm-hmm. you know, both with the vocals and the instrumentation. Right. Uh, I don't know. It's... It's uh, think of uh, think of the success of the Rolling Stones. I mean, you listen to their live album "Get Your Yayas Out," and two of the highlights are are strictly covers of Chuck Berry songs. Mm-hmm. And you know that's uh, Chuck Berry and Chess Records and the Blues is where they got their mojo from. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> and and uh, I don't seem to have a problem listening to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, well, even though I. I know how much their their music has leaned on music of the past. Yeah, and it seems like in rock and roll more so than other genres, you, you get people who do appreciate uh, the foundation that was built before them. Like you said on Get Your Yaya's Out, um, the blues covers were some of the highlights of that record. Yeah. And I think it's all up, ultimately it's all up to the listener whether or not they can appreciate what is being put out and where those artists got their influences from. But why does it seem than rock and roll, it is more frowned down upon than, say, in blues music or even in hip-hop where some artists will put together a beat and then the uh, melody of the entire track is just samples from other works of art. And that's, wow, great use of that work, great work to honor. And it's almost, um, it's a sign of respect when you sample other artists' material. Where in rock and roll, as we've seen with Greta Van Fleet, it's like, hey, you guys sound like your rip-offs. I I can't. I can't really figure out why there's that dichotomy uh, that, uh, you know, people should just take it easy. Um, you know, there, there's going to be music you love and music you hate. I, I think rock and roll more than any, any other genre in, invites, the etern- invites the internal rock critic in all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're looking for angles. We're, we're looking for ways to, to listen and, and to judge uh, music uh, maybe more harshly than we would other forms of music. I, I mean, listen to a, a bunch of blues songs or a bunch of early rock and roll songs and uh, the chord structure and the direction are going to be alarmingly similar. But nobody's going to say, uh, you know, I never listen to Sun Seals because I listen to Muddy Waters. Right. How much of a role does social media play in creating this backlash? Uh, well, social media is an ungainly beast. 
And uh, as you, as somebody who works on our webpage and, and with our social media, knows that you can post the most innocent-seeming uh, opinion, news about a band, uh, and it's happened to me. Almost the first thing every time is some really angry, negative response. No matter what it is, I feel like if if I, I put up a picture of Golden Retriever puppies on the XRT website, the first two or three responses are going to be, puppies suck. Oh, again <laughs> with the puppies? Why Golden Retrievers? Why not... Uh, so there's an element of of how you just can't win with social media, which is why I think you have to take everything with a a little perspective and a little sense of humor, because uh, rock and roll is supposed to, supposed to be fun. Exactly, it's hit the nail on the head. Whatever you put up there, the first response is always "Why? Uh, don't do it." And that's I to, hate you know, this. Yeah, but it's, you know. I guess, I guess it's the world we live in. But it was refreshing to see that quote by uh, the Greta Van Fleet bassist Sam Kiska saying, you know, we don't really take into account what our listeners want. We just want to make music that we want to hear. And I think if you're going to get that publicity, and I'm sure they're asked all the time, hey, what do you think about Led Zeppelin comparisons? Probably to the point where they have the response down to a T. It, it, it's refreshing to see that they're making the music for themselves. And for a band that is only in their young 20s at this point, I think it'll bode well for their future. Well, one of the pieces of advice I would always give young bands is don't try to create your sound based on what you think people want to hear because the public is very fickle. And if you design something especially for the public, there's no guarantee they're going to have any interest. So the best advice for musicians and songwriters is to follow you heart, play the music you think uh, will inspire you and the people around you, and you just have to hope for the best. Because anytime a band goes and says, "Okay, I'm gonna do this because it's gonna make it a hit," that never works. You know the best part about that, Lynn? What? That'll cost hundreds of dollars in any <laughs> other setting for people to get that type of career advice. So musicians, take note to what he just said because this was free. Yes. Do whatever you want, and maybe it'll work out. Do whatever you think people want, it probably won't work out. <laughs> well, like I said before, free advice. Take it or leave it. Not going to say anything about donations, but if they come our way, so be it. Yeah, if there are donations, give them to Marty. I make too much money. <laughs> You're too kind. You're too kind, Lynn. Well, thanks again for joining us. You know, today on the podcast. My pleasure, it's, Marty. As you know, I'll do anything you tell me to. <laughs> this was this was all stemmed from a uh, Rolling Stone article that was written back in October discussing this very issue on, you know, why why there is a stigma in rock and roll and having to sound original. And I think it's going to be a question that'll never be answered. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, with the advent of social media, it's it's going to continue to evolve, and you're always going to have that carried with you. Where if you can't, if a Greta Van Fleet came out 15 years ago you may not have this type of immediate backlash. Well, you know what? Um, if if you try to do what you want to do, the chances of you sounding original are going to be a lot better. Yeah, well put. Well, Lynn, thanks so much for joining us today. Once again, You're if, welcome. You, if, if you aren't following Lynn on Twitter or Facebook, do so. 
Both handles are at Lynn Bramer. You can find him on there, and you can follow XRT on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which Lynn is a heavy contributor on as well. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, we do have at Lynn Mary XRT. That's Mary Dixon, and I share an Instagram. And then uh, I'm very, very active on the XRT Instagram because I like to take pictures and post them somewhere. There's always a great feeling of joy whenever I open Instagram and see a new post because it's likely come from you. But I got I to gotta ask now, um, yeah. now, now that we're on the record, how many takes does it take for you to get those interviews with fans, whether you're at a concert or like you did one like McDermott recently, it just flows oh, so naturally. Those are, those are, those are one take wonders. Wow. I, I guarantee, actually they're not all one take wonders, but usually it's one or two takes when I do the, uh, the selfie video saying, right. this is Lynn Bramer reporting live from the Chicago Theater. This is Lynn Bramer reporting live backstage with Michael McDermott. They're, you know, they're only 30, 40 seconds. you got to be able to get it right in 30 seconds or you shouldn't be trying. <laughs> well, how many, uh, now that you've been doing this, I mean, you've done these interviews for a while now with, the, with yeah. our fans. Have you been solicited for Instagram interviews yet? No. Okay. Nobody really cares what I do. <laughs> That's not true, <laughs> in my opinion. But I, I'm, I will take full responsibility if people are listening to this and coming to you and hey, hey, Lynn, I want to do an Instagram interview. You know, the, you get the, a line of guess. the most response I've ever gotten to an Instagram post is in a car with my evil brother David and my nice brother John, and we're singing an a cappella version of ACDC Highway to Hell. That was a gem. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> this is what you people want to hear? Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the beauty and bane of social media. Yeah. When you think something's great, it sucks. And when you think something sucks, it ends up being great. Yep. So take that what you can. Well, Lynn, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Okay. Big thanks again to Lynn Bramer for hopping on the podcast and kicking off 2019 in style. I'm really excited about the episodes we have upcoming this year and the potential that the podcast has for 2019. So be sure to follow me on Twitter at Marty Rosenbaum, where I'll have news about upcoming episodes, additional guests. And if you have any questions, comments, podcast pitches, ideas, things you want covered, hit me up on there. Tell me you listen to the podcast. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Search the library for Inside the Archives where you can subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and find a full list of every single episode that we've released thus far to share with your friends, family members, whomever you may think is interested in hearing this podcast. For 93XRT and Inside the Archives, I'm Marty Rosen. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.